Amen. Well, you've just about heard the sermon in the, a song this morning. Those songs Jeremy picked out, so praise the Lord. <laughs> but if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to still turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. You ever been rescued from something? Ever been saved from some situation that was a little dangerous or maybe even life-threatening? Ever had someone step in and protect you or help you not get in some pain or some tragedy? Well, if you think you never had a need for rescue, you're wrong. You need to be rescued. And Paul enlightens us today on how that rescue happens. God rescues sinners by grace. Last week, we uh, talked about Paul, and he was warning Timothy at the first part of this letter to Timothy. <clears throat> excuse me. He was warning them, him, about the wolves that were coming, the wolves that were praying around in Ephesus where the church is. He pointed out that their methods and signs were not of God and that he needed to look out for them. Well, today, as one who's entrusted with the gospel, ministry of the gospel, Paul now tells Timothy to remember what a great salvation we have, what a great salvation that we possess in Jesus Christ. So let me read verses 12 through 17, and we'll begin to kind of explore this together. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy. And deserving of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is such a glorious account and, and really concise synopsis of Paul's salvation, which is our salvation for those who have believed and trusted your son. So help us as we explore this this morning, Father. Grant us insight, grant us some wisdom, grant us some application for our own hearts that we may show the world this great salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in this text, Paul uses his testimony <clears throat> to highlight uh, to Timothy the ministry of God's grace. <clears throat> the ministry of God's grace to those who believe in the gospel. That's what this text is telling Timothy and the church there at Ephesus. For us today, our lesson out of here is that every believer's testimony derives from God's grace. It comes from God's grace. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's for the glory of God. And so that's what our lesson is. So what does our testimony tell about God's rescue? That's kind of what we're going to try to answer this day today. And we'll see that God reclaimed our souls from two inevitable situations, two things that, he, that we could never remedy on our own. One is our past, and the other is our future. First of all, God, Paul's past is actually our past as well. 
verses 12 through 14. Yes, I know it's hard to believe, but we'll explain that to you. Paul's past is our past. Let me read those verses again. Paul says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man, but, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So verse 11, right up the verse above this, he talks about the ministry of the gospel that's entrusted to him. And Paul now expresses a testimony of how that gospel saved him. Uh, Jesus strengthened him. Jesus empowered him. Jesus supported Paul to be able to be a faithful minister of the gospel. That's why he's giving gratitude to Jesus. Paul's gratitude is for the fact that Christ saved his soul and God decided to make him a faithful minister of the gospel. That's, that's his gratitude. That's what he's grateful for. And by appointing Paul to the ministry of the gospel, God declares Paul will be faithful. Paul knew and made Paul faithful. I mean, God knew and made Paul faithful. And God is always the judge of faithfulness. Sometimes we may think we're faithful, but we need to let God's word kind of discern in our own hearts if we're being faithful to him. Paul states it a different way to the, to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 9, he says this, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. See, faithful service is from submitting to God's mercy and grace. Faithful service to the gospel only comes when we submit to God's grace and mercy, not when we come up with our own ideas about this. God gave us, like Paul, the good work to do and the faithfulness to do it. So we must exercise our faith. We must exercise the faith we have in Jesus Christ toward getting the gospel out. You know, there have been plenty out there that have presumed that they had the calling of the ministry. There have been plenty out there that said, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a preacher, I'm an evangelist. And then they eventually are gone because of unfaithfulness of some sort. They really didn't have the true calling that Paul's talking about here. And more than likely, in a lot of cases, they weren't even believers. They just liked the idea of being in front of a crowd. But Paul's past should have in verse 13 his past should have deterred christ i mean why would you save someone who spent his entire life fighting the church up to that point see his evil and and destructive sins there that he lists a blasphemer a persecutor an arrogant man in this translation but in other translations it talks about an insolent man it talks about a violent man the greek word there can mean all of these things arrogant violent insolent just on his own agenda and he was against god's church i mean he was wickedly against god's church he was desperately trying to stamp out the church of jesus christ for the sake of the jews paul's testimony in the new testament is referred to and told at least seven times seven times we get a glimpse of his testimony of what christ did for him and each reference points to his, all of them point to his hatred and his terror that he brought to the church. He persecuted the church. He sought the, in the church, I'm not talking about the buildings, okay? I'm talking about the people. He went after the people. Full vengeance. 
He was going to be God's soldier against this wrong teaching. Listen to one of them in Acts 26. This is one of his, his testimonies. This one is, uh, I believe it's before King Agrippa. He says, in fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem. I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priest. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I, have, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities, which is how he got saved on the way to Damascus, a foreign city. Paul was despicable. He was wretched. He hated the church. But, there in the middle of verse 13, but that wonderful coordinating conjunction, taking you back to your English classes maybe, it ushers in the greatest news we've ever heard. This coordinating conjunction. Usually when we hear a but, we're like, okay, here comes the negative, here comes the catch, here comes the contradiction. Not in God's word. It usually means God's showing up. But God, it brings hope. But, Paul says, I received mercy. I received mercy. I received mercy. Now, here's what mercy is. Don't get, don't get too carried away here. Mercy is just not receiving what you deserve. <laughs> Paul deserved to be wiped out and sent to hell because of what he'd done to the church, because of his sins. But he didn't get that. That's mercy. That is mercy. It's not receiving the, desired, the deserved result. It stops the punishment. Paul deserved death. He deserved eternal damnation for, for persecuting the church like he did, for rejecting and blaspheming against the name of Jesus Christ. He deserved death. But God, but God chose otherwise. I say that every day when I look at my life. Boy, God chose otherwise. He redeemed Paul. He rescued Paul. He reclaimed Paul's soul from what his past deserved. Why would he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul's crimes were committed out of a sense of ignorance or unbelieving and unknowing heart condition. This is kind of a separation here of, of the types of sin. I'm not going to get into that as much. But he had a heart of stone like we did. He, he had a heart that resisted Jesus Christ. He had a heart that resisted the truth of Jesus. And he would never have accepted Jesus on its own. Our heart's the same way. Or was the same way. Paul was not aware of who Jesus was. But his faith on that road to Damascus changed that. He now knew who Jesus was. He was not necessarily unrepentant. He just didn't know he had to repent. He didn't know he needed to repent to Jesus. He was completely ignorant of what was Jesus really represented. His heart was lost in sin. And when faith came on that road, repentance came right after it. I mean, when he says, Lord, Lord, who are you and what do I, what do, I do? He's already submitting to the fact that he, he had the wrong idea about Jesus. When one knows Jesus, when one sees Jesus, when one experiences Jesus and the truth of it, and then rejects it and never comes around to Christ, that's where he's intentionally blaspheming God. He's intentionally rejecting Christ. And that sometimes can be the unpardonable sin. Jesus tells them, the Pharisees, that and the disciples. The unpardonable sin is, is a heart that doesn't want Christ at all. 
Even if they were offered forgiveness, they won't accept it because they don't believe they need it. Paul's unbelief and his ignorance, although those were his decisions, he made those decisions on his own. He was granted mercy from the guilt of despising Jesus. Mercy. There's a song called Mercy Came a Running, and that's like, like a prisoner set free. That's what happened to Paul. And in verse 14, we want to understand that Paul did not earn his salvation, okay? It's all of grace. Grace is never earned. If it's earned, it's not grace. If it's earned, it's not grace. Grace is a completely free decision by the one who is offended. Grace comes only by a willful decision of the party who's been offended and says, I forgive you and I save you. And that's what God did. Grace. It offers a blessing. Not, not just not getting the curse, he offers a blessing instead of the curse. That's grace. And that grace came to Paul. It overflowed, Paul says, it overflowed to me. Despite his past, the, and, and you go read the, the seven testimonies in Acts 9, 22, 26, Galatians 1, Philippians 3, 1 Corinthians 15. You read those and you see Paul was a very, very, very mean man. He did not like the church. But grace overflowed to Paul. You know, grace is always really an overflow. Grace is always something we, we don't expect and we can't contain. We don't, we don't really have in our lives a, a spot for grace to, to fill up. You know, we have other emotional spots. We have other things we have in our life. But grace is always an overflow. It's like trying to drink out of Niagara Falls with a teacup. Immediately, it's overflowed. That's grace. Immediately, you've got more than you can handle when you stick a teacup in the Niagara Falls. Grace brings faith from, from the love Christ has for us. Paul says here, he says, I got faith. Grace came to him and said, hey, I'm Jesus who you've been persecuting. And Paul says, whoa, I got faith now. I got faith. I believe you. I believe you. Grace brings faith. Because Christ loved us so much that he died for us. By grace through faith, which is the gift that saves us. Faith is the gift that comes by grace. The grace of God. The gift of God. And grace gives us faith because God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us, for our sins. Paul's past deserved death. There's no doubt about it. His past deserved eternal banishment from God. But mercy was great and grace was free. Know the song? Pardon was multiplied to him. His burdened soul found liberty from Jesus Christ at Calvary. Paul's past deserved it, but he got grace. And in Jesus Christ... Mercy and grace abound for the one who will believe. And that's what Paul testifies to right here. The minute his soul met Jesus, he repented. The minute he saw who Jesus was, he repented and he received mercy for sin and grace for eternal life. Now that, my friends, is what genuine conversion looks like. When people come face to face with Jesus Christ and they readily admit, I am despicable, I need help, I can't do this on my own. It's, a, it's more than just words coming out of people's mouth. It's an action. Their lives change. When sin against God is realized and repented of, that faith then brings salvation. 
It's not just the words. If God saves a man like Paul, if God saves a man like Paul, he can save anybody. He can save anybody. Then anyone can be saved. No one is outside God's reach. No one. A lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people think they're too bad from their past to be saved, but they're not. The God of the universe is willing to save anyone who will repent and believe in Jesus, his son. Paul's past was exonerated by Jesus. His sins were forgiven. Paul knew it. But now let's think about what about our sins? What about our sins? I don't know if you remember and you've ever seen the movie Patriot. But the main character of that movie, he, he's quoted as saying, I have long feared that my sins would return to haunt me and the cost would be more than I could bear. It's a fictional character. It's not a real character, but I thought that quote's pretty good because many people have failed to deal with their sins, to acknowledge them, to even admit that they have wronged some against God. They've committed a wrong. And our sins will eternally haunt us without the grace and mercy of Christ. Without Jesus. Do you struggle with your past sins? Paul says it can be remedied. Here's what Paul says to the Romans, how grace manifests to our souls. In in Romans chapter 5, he says, But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So that just as the sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, sin can't overcome grace. And grace, when it's offered to you, offers you faith. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent, insolent, arrogant man. And that sums up Paul's past. But you know what? Those sins actually fit our past, too. Those sins actually, we may not have expressed them the way Paul expressed them in a physical act. But in some form, some fashion, we've all been to these points. In our minds, probably. In our minds, our thoughts, our attitudes. As a soul that didn't believe in Jesus, we've been a blasphemer. We have denied Christ's claim as God incarnate and Savior of the world. We've denied that. When we were not believing, we were literally, by our not believing, denying Christ's deity and Christ's sacrifice. We've been persecutors. We've resisted. We fought against him in some way, even just in our minds, maybe. We've sought ways to silence Jesus in our life. That's what a persecutor does. And we've been violent and arrogant probably in our thoughts. We've, we mentally have strived to try to destroy Jesus from affecting us. I mean, that's, that's the quickest way to end a conversation sometime when you're talking with someone who don't believe is to mention the name Jesus. They'll talk about God all day, a lot of them. They'll talk about spiritual things all day. They'll talk about other religions all day. But man, you bring up Jesus, and it's enough to, well, it just usually ends the conversation. We have mentally strived to destroy his existence and chose to be our own God. That's what we've done. And so in every human heart is the propensity, the capacity to reject Christ like Paul did. We all have that ability before we come to Christ until... But God, but God came to you. But God 
showed you mercy. But God, in grace, gave you faith to believe in Christ Jesus. But God rescued you from the eternal consequences of your sins. It's all of God. He's the one who rescues, not us. The wages of sin is death. But, love that word, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to praise God for the moment he saved us, the moment he revealed his son to us, the moment you heard the call that you're a sinner, you're a blasphemer, you're a persecutor, you're a violent person against Christ. We need to praise God for that day. The day we responded to grace and found mercy for our soul. See, your past is Paul's past. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got the same past that he had and you now have the same salvation he had. So we need to rejoice that we're saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because you have accepted faith by faith Jesus Christ. Your name and Paul's name are in the same book. Your name and Abraham's name is in the same book. Your name and Peter's name. Your name and John's name. I can go on and on. Your name is in the book of the life if you've trusted Jesus Christ. So we need to live like we've received grace. Not like we've just gotten off the hook or we, or we fooled somebody. We need to live like we received grace. That we were caught red-handed, but we were given faith by grace. Because God loves you. God loves you. See, this is all founded on, we, we talked about this last week, the foundation is love. For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. It's all about love. Oh, it's so much about love and not our own abilities. So Paul's past is our past. But God took care of Paul's past and used him for the gospel ministry. And now Paul introduces a a new truth. He now shares how that applies to the future. Paul's future will be our future. Verses 15 through 17. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But, <laughs> there it is again, I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul transitions from his testimony to anybody's testimony right here. And, and he introduces a truth with this lead-in. This saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. He uses this five times in just these three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. That's the only places he uses this statement. This is a trustworthy statement. He only adds deserving full acceptance twice. He's making a point to Timothy. He means for Timothy to teach this as doctrine, to teach this as truth, a verified, bona fide truth, precept, to follow Christ incarnated 
into human form to provide salvation for all who know they sin against God. Christ Jesus came into the world as a human being to save sinners. That was his mission. That was the purpose of the cross and the grave, to save sinners. That's the, that's the gospel in nine simple words right there. Nine simple words. It's concise. It's succinct. It's complete. It's a solid guide to any of us who are believers. If you ever are worried or wondering about what we're supposed to be doing, when in doubt of your mission, when in doubt of your purpose, just remember those nine words. Because it's the necessary truth. It's the reason he left us here. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why. Now, Paul adds a little editorial on the end of this. That's not part of the statement that he wants Timothy to take as trustworthy and full acceptance. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I'm not sure how Paul knows that, but he's, he's taking it as a moment. He affirms how powerful the mercy and grace of Christ was to save the worst sinner he knew. He knew he was the worst sinner at that point in time anyway. And Paul humbly claims how bad he was. He's not bragging, by the way. I was the worst. He's not bragging at all. He's humbly claiming how bad he was and how comprehensive God's grace is. You know what this does for Paul? Because Paul probably had the propensity to be a very prideful man because he, he was pretty accomplished. He probably, probably was a genius by IQ standards. He probably had most, most, if not all, the Old Testament memorized, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he calls himself. This keeps his pride at bay. I am the worst sinner, and God saved me. God saved me. I didn't save me. I didn't even help him. Like the thorn in his flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And Paul uses himself now in verse 16, kind of, but in reality, he's speaking in a, in a term, in a way that it means all of us. Mercy was given to show God's patience. Whew, patience. Man. Why did, we, why did we need an example? Of God's patience because you know why the adversary is always trying to tell you you are not a good Christian you're why would God save you you sure he could save you from those sins you sure the things you did in your past he could save he's always trying to drag us down to convince us that we can't be forgiven and useful to the master but we need to see and know that Christ is patient beyond our sinful capacity. Very patient. Just keep telling yourself you are forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. Paul's future was changed and so was ours when Christ's patience led us to repentance. In Romans 2.4, Paul speaks to some people who are assuming they are righteous. He's speaking to people that think they're righteous because of their position, either as Jews or some other uh, well-being. And he says, or do you show contempt for God's kindness, tolerance, and patience? Or do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? God's patience, his kindness, his tolerance is for lost souls. He has patience for them. I don't know why, but he does. He has patience for all of us because God desires for all to repent. He does. He desires for every man to repent. If God were not extraordinarily patient, none of us would probably be here. I mean, it, patience of God paves the way, the only way for eternal life, and that's Jesus Christ. I mean, he revealed that he was going to do this 5,000 years before Jesus showed up, at least 5,000 years. 
God allowed people to live and abuse his commands and ignore his truth. He allowed people to just go off and chase all kinds of pagan gods, all kinds of false gods, all kinds of demons for 5,000 years. And then he sends Jesus. How patient is he to wait for one more person to be born and to be saved? I mean, he's patient. Most of us are ready for this to be over. Come, Lord Jesus, come, you know. You watch the news for five minutes, you're ready to, for the rapture, you know. But he's patient. He's so patient. And this patience just brings Paul to a moment of worship. Verse 17. See, Paul knows that it is all for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. And he stops right here to sing basically a doxology of worship to God. He enumerates here five qualities of God. These are not all of them. This is not exhaustive. The qualities of God that deserve glory and honor and reverence. These are five that he picked out. They highlight how amazing God's grace is to us. Why would the only king and God of all, eternal and present everywhere, care for creatures like us? Why? Why would he spend any time on those who reject him? Those who spurn his son? Well, here's why. Psalms 8 actually answers this. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than yourself. You crowned him with glory and honor. See, God loves us because we are the apex of his creation. We are the pinnacle of his creation. Our future is heaven because of God's love and grace, and he did that because we believed and he made mankind for that purpose. And Paul's future will be our future in heaven one day. Paul's enjoying the presence of God right now. And thanks be to God for his son, Jesus Christ, we will too. That's our future. You know, when, when, a, when a boat capsizes like the Titanic or any other of those boats, and there's lifeboats in the water... Everybody in the lifeboat is expected to help get other people in the lifeboat. It's, it's expected. It's a survivor instinct. You need to do that. So you're helping. You may, you may help by countering the weight when someone leans over the other side to help someone in, but we're all expected to help pull people into the lifeboat. God, God expects us to pull people into the lifeboat. He wants us to pull on the rope that's getting people aboard. He wants us to toss them the life preserver of the gospel. God saved us for that. Why else would he leave us here? What else is the point of staying here when we could be in heaven and fellowshipping with him? Because he wants us to be in the lifeboat pulling people in. And the lifeboat is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's patience for us and for his glory. God saves us to use us to bring him the glory he deserves. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. He says this, each of us, he didn't say some of you, he said each of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power 
forever and ever. Amen. That's why we're here. See, your future is Paul's future. Paul was saved to serve Christ. So are you. So are you. It is the way. We are here to hand out the grace of God to any and all we can connect to within, with this life, this life we have as a Christian. We're here to connect. We're here to throw them a lifeline, to talk to them about Jesus. We can do it by words. We can do it by service. There's so many ways we bring glory to God and praise from those who accept it. I honestly think there's going to be people in heaven that are going to say, you mentioned something to me one day about Christianity, and I went and explored it, and I never got to tell you thank you, and oh, that's why I'm here. You know, I think that's going to happen a lot. But we need to be speaking it. We need to be tossing lifelines out. God rescues the sinner by using us as a lifeline. We are the rope, or the one who tosses it at least, the life preserver. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he's using us to do it. That's his way. I would, I would sometimes prefer to be a, a different way, maybe easier, but he's going to use us. God, that's God's decision. And so God rescued you by someone's telling you, serving you, speaking to you. God rescued you, and he wants you to do the same. He used somebody to tell you about the gospel. He wants you to tell somebody about the gospel. Here's kind of the bottom line to this, this point. If you want to fully enjoy the grace of God, if you want to, the abundant life that Jesus promised, if you want those things, then use the gift you've been given. Salvation. You've been given. That is your gift. Your salvation. It's, it sounds kind of like a choice, but it's really not. God's called every one of us that profess faith in Jesus Christ to be going and telling in some way, shape, or form. If you are truly saved, if you are aware that your sins were wiped out by God's grace, then you are called to give lifelines to others by word, by service, or both. Your future here and in eternity will be as bright as Paul's when you live your life for the glory of God. That's the bottom line. Remember your own salvation and help others experience their own testimony of grace. That's a glorious event. It's wonderful to be able to do that. Build relationships. Tell them about Jesus, what Jesus has done for you. As I sum this up, Paul, Paul explained God's rescue of him, and then he explains how that rescue carries on to everybody else. God rescues by his grace. He rescues sinners. He doesn't rescue people who don't know they're sinner. He doesn't rescue them. They don't know. They're not, they're not willing to reach out and grab the, the line. So I want all of you here to have a rescue story. If you don't have one, I, I want you to have one. A rescue story to know that you are a sinner bound for hell and God turned it around, saved your soul, gave you faith by grace because he loved you. Jesus is the way. He's the way to find the forgiveness you need, the peace you need and the hope you need for all eternity. So, we're going to take some time right now to pray. And you can come up front if you'd like to pray. Pray for God to make your salvation real and more active. And if you're not saved, I'd love for you to pray for God to save your soul. Let's pray.